Welcome to Friendship with God. I'm David Cantor. Today, my father, Tom Cantor, will look at the Spirit of God from Genesis chapter 6. Now, here is my father, Tom, with today's study. John 10 and uh, verse 28. And the Lord Jesus Christ is talking here. He's talking about his church. He says, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. Then he says these words, I and my Father are echad. I and my Father are echad one. We are one. We are echad one. And when he said that, the Jews picked up stones, see verse 31, to, to stone him. Again to stone him. Again, it says, it has to say it again, it has to remind us. Again to stone him. Why? They knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, the Shema, it's talking about me. The Lord our God is Echad, is one. He said, I and my Father are one. He could have said, I and my Father and my Spirit are one, and, his, and the Spirit of God are one. We're one. That's, the, that's what he was saying there. We're one. And that's why they took it up. So God is, a, God is, a, God is an Elohim. God is a plurality of persons. God is a unity. God is a tri-unity. God is a trinity. A tri-unity of three persons. There is the God, the Abba Elohim, the God the Father. There is the Bain Elohim, God the Son. There is the Ruach Elohim, God the Spirit. And the Shema is teaching us exactly the opposite of what it is used for today. Because it's used for today to say, oh, you can't become a Christian, you Jewish boy. Because Christians believe in three gods. And we only believe in one God. And the Shema says that. Shema says just the opposite. It says that, it says that our gods are all echad one. They're all echad one. Now, the application is to our fellowship. Now, now we uh, <clears throat> ask the question, how is God one? I mean, you know, I, I mean, you can't really imagine God not getting along with each other, the, you know, the, different, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they are different persons. But they are one in their purpose, and we should be one in our purpose. And they are one in their desires, and we should be one in our desires. And they are one in their goals, and we should, the fellowship, should be one in our goals. Even though they are different personalities, and definitely we are different personalities, you cannot divide them. You cannot say, well, that was the Father's will, but your will, you cannot do that with with the God. And that should be the way it is now. When I'm speaking to you, Someone once said, what part is speaking to me, you? Is it my body that's speaking to you? Yes. Is it my spirit that's speaking to you? Yes. Is it my soul that's speaking to you? Yes. Well, what time, what, who, who just said that last word? Was that your body, your soul, or your spirit <laughs> that said that? You can't say. You cannot divide the Godhead. And we as a congregation, as a fellowship, if we're going to please God, we're going to be this way. Now, verse 2 says, back at Genesis 1. Genesis 1. See, we're making progress. Verse 2 says, The earth was formless. It was without form. It was void. It was empty. It was like a waste place. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness. You remember the ninth plague of Egypt? It was a darkness. Anybody remember what it said about that darkness in Exodus 
The Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. God said, this is a darkness which may be felt. Can you feel that darkness? That darkness in Egypt, this darkness here in Genesis, it's a great, great, it's a darkness which is so bad on the outside that it penetrates to the inside, and it's just a darkness. You can feel the darkness. That's what he brought as the, you know, remember the plagues got worse and worse in their intensity. That was the one before the, the worst one. The killing of the uh, firstborn. The darkness which may be felt. This was a darkness before the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, remember the Messiah on darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness. The people, remember that? And it says, and, uh, and the people which walked in darkness and in the shadow of death. To them, light. Now, this earth, darkness. To it, light. Job, um, uh, okay, now, did God create this darkness? Does God create evil? Some of you may know the answer to this. Isaiah 45, 7 reads, I form the light and create darkness. So there's your answer, there you are. I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, hell is called a land of darkness. Job 10 tells us that very clearly, 10.22. It says, a land of darkness as darkness itself. He emphasized it. And of the shadow of death without any order and where the light is as darkness. So he's describing here hell as the opposite of what's happening here in Genesis 1. Because God is going to dispel the darkness with light and he's going to bring order from the tohu vabohu. Those are the words. Don't you like those words? Tohu vabohu. That means dark. That means uh, empty and void, you know. That's what we call the backseat of Joseph's car. Tohu and vabohu. (laughs) Joseph discovered you don't need trash cans. Tohu vabohu back there. But this is tohu vabohu here. And he says, and and you remember, remember I I joked about this uh, in... um, the memorial service of Pastor Jim. Remember what the Lord said to the goats? You know, he said, uh, depart from me. And at Matthew 25, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Prepared for the devil and his angels. The place of darkness and hell was not prepared for man. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And God doesn't want any man to end up there. How do you know that? Because he said, as we've seen before in 2 Peter 3, 9, he's not slack concerning his body. He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any, not willing that anyone should slip through the cracks, should perish. And in 1 Timothy 2, 4, who will have all men to be saved, <clears throat> come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody to be saved. So this was not, hell was never a place that was ever prepared for man. It was prepared for the devil and his, and his demons. Okay, but now in verse 2 of Genesis 1, it, it wasn't right. It was the spirit of God, the spirit of, the spirit of Elohim Godhead, and he's moving, and you know what that word is literally? He's hovering. He's hovering over the waters. When we, I, always say, when I always say about when my kids grew up, I always say when we grew up. I don't know why I say that, but I think it's because I felt I grew up also. But anyway, we had a t- triple bunk during that time. 
And, the, and, they, and people slept on the bunk. Our kids, three boys, slept on the bunk according to their birth order, right? David, Joseph, Joshua, triple bunk. And uh, so David was on top, very, very gregarious person, and firstborn, he was on top. Joseph was in, down below him, very private person, Joseph. And David was always trying to see what Joseph was doing. He would be peering over his bunk, you know. See, what's he doing there? And Joseph used to huddle his books and everything on the inside of his bed, you know, private things. <clears throat> and David would be looking over, trying to see what that was and peering. And Joseph had um, pins, straight pins, and polka, you know, <laughs> like that, you know. He'd stop that, you know. And, and, you know, but David was it just, it just irritated David, Joseph to no end. This was going on, just peering over. And, we, and then all of a sudden we hear this, Mom, Mom! You know, it never called for me. I don't know why. But anyway, and she goes, what is it, Joe? What is it, Joe? And Joe would scream, Mom, Mom, he's hovering again. <laughs> he's hovering. That was the big term. And said, David, stop hovering, you know. <laughs> what was he doing? He was interested. He was hovering. He was interested. That's what the Spirit of God is doing here. He's hovering over the earth. He's interested. He's like fluttering like a bird over its, 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 uh, its uh, chicks, its, its, its little baby birds. He's hovering. Why? Because something's not good here. It's not good. It's all out of order. There's no, it's empty and there's a darkness and so he, the Spirit of God is hovering over this. He's possessively hovering over this earth like that because it's not right. And this whole process of what we're going to see here in Genesis 1 and what's starting here is a, it's a, it's a yatsar process, the yatsar of it all. So what am I talking about? Okay, let's turn to Isaiah 45, 18. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus saith the Lord, and that word is Jehovah, right? Thus saith the Jehovah God person of the Elohim Godhead. Just saith the Jehovah that created the heavens. God, and that word is Elohim. Elohim, God himself also formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and that word is Jehovah, and there is none else. Now twice you see a word in English there, and what is that word? Formed. That's right, you see the word formed. That's the Hebrew word yatsar. It's formed. And if you want to look at Isaiah 64, 8 later, it says, But I, but now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, thou our yatsar. In other words, we are, and then he says, and we are all the work of thy hand. Can you picture this? The potter is getting the clay just right, and he's he's hovering. He's hovering over it. Oh, it's not the way I want it, so put it back on the wheel, and i got to work some more, and I'm going to get it just right. That's the Yatsar. That's the potter. Ah, you know, and that's the description from Isaiah 45, which is of how he formed the earth. I don't have it just right. I'm hovering over it here just to see what it's like here. And that's not right, and I'm going to put it in my hands, and I'm going to form it, and I'm going to squeeze it, and I'm going to do it this way and do it that way until I got it perfect. That's the Yatsar of it all. In Psalm 139, verse 16, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thou, thou, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were Yatsard, fashioned 
when as yet there was none of them. That's what he does with us. He fashions us. He forms us. If you grab a hold of that principle, it will bring you peace. I remember, I think I mentioned before, Semenyu. Semenyu was born. He had tuberculosis there outside of Addis, in, in, quite a ways outside of Addis in Ethiopia. Deformed spine, so much pain Semenyu had that he would go to school and lie down on the dirt playground there in pain. And his friends would come and bring him food. He couldn't take it any longer, so he just started walking toward Addis. And a bus came, and a bus driver felt sorry for him, picked him up, gave him some food, took him into Addis, and there he was as a street kid living on the street there until Rick Hodes, Dr. Hodes, found him, the Jewish oncologist there, and also works with deformities of the spine. Got him into Mother Teresa Hospital, got him down to Ghana, where he got some help. Now his spine rests on his pelvis. But he always had in his mind, why did God do this to me? So then you and I and Temeskin, we sat down and we looked at John 9 and began to talk about it, how th- this man was not born, no one sinned that this man was born blind, but it was for the glory of God. And explain to, explain to Semenyu, your deformity of your spine was for the glory of God. That's why you were made that way, so that you could come, first of all, and be saved from your sins and, and call on the name of the Lord to be saved, which he did, praise God. That changed him when he saw God formed him, God yatsard him, even the deformity in his spine, because God's got a higher purpose. Tom, people are naturally drawn towards light. Why is it important that God commanded the light? That's an interesting question. Verse 3 gives a real clue to it because there what we find is that God saw the need for the light. So he commanded for there to be light and then the amazing part about it is the next part where it says, and there was light. God saw that the light was needed and so he commanded the light and there it was. You know, it reminds us of 2 Corinthians 4, 6, where Paul, speaking about what happened at this time, said, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what's Paul doing here? Paul is saying that in the same way that God at creation commanded the light to shine out of darkness. In the same exact way, he commands the light to shine out of a dark heart. And when that light shines in our hearts, which are dark, in the same way that there was light after the command, in the same way there's light in our hearts. What kind of light? A light of the knowledge of who God is and who the glory of God is. And both of those questions are answered by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the glory of God. So God sees the heart of every lost sinner, and just as he made the earth, he cared for it. Why? Because he made it. He has made every person, and he cares for each person. And just as the Spirit of God hovered over his creation with all of that care and all of that concern, God hovers over every single one of his lost creation. He sees the darkness. He does everything so that every one of his lost creation will turn to him. And when anyone makes one small move toward him, he does the same thing he did in Genesis. He says, he commands the light 
Shine out of darkness. Give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's that mean? It means the person will then understand that in the Lord Jesus Christ, they can see God, they can come to God, be healed by God, they can be made a child of God, all in the Lord Jesus Christ. All those blessings flowing from him. All coming after the person turns to God and God says, let there be light in that dark soul. Now, when you look at what happened there in the creation, it looks so impossible. It was just like, all oh, the impossibility of it all. When you look at verse two, darkness on the face of the deep reminds us, what does it remind us of? It reminds us of the ninth plague in Egypt. The darkness, that phrase that we looked at already in Exodus 10, 21, even the darkness which may be felt. Here was a terrible, terrible darkness in Egypt. And it's the same darkness that you can feel in Genesis 1-2 in that verse. You can feel the darkness. You know, it's interesting because in Ephesians 5-8, it identifies us as darkness in our former life B.C., before Christ, before we became saved and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Ephesians 5.8, for ye, that's us, were sometimes darkness. We, it doesn't say we were in darkness, it says we were the darkness. He says, but now, and thank God that there's a now, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We were not just in darkness, like there was some darkness from the outside and we were stumbling around. This verse says, we were darkness. Darkness was coming from us. That means the darkness was inside of us. We were emanating the darkness. We were darkness spreaders. Remember when God spoke of his Jewish people in the I Got Bad Kids chapter one of Isaiah one? In Isaiah one, two through four, God said, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. And oh, you can feel the heartbreak of God there. God goes on to give the explanation for why they don't know. My people doth not consider. It's the problem of prejudice. You can say, to a Jewish person, what does it mean to be a Jew? Oh, you can be a Jew, you can be a, you can be a Buddhist and a Jew, you can be an atheist and a Jew, you can be secular and a Jew, but you cannot be a Christian. That's prejudice. So God goes on to say in verse four of Isaiah one, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they are gone away backward. Not just a sinful nation, he says, but corruptors, not just corrupted, but corruptors of others. Remember that song from the Messiah? For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. See, Darkness outside, darkness within. But it says in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, for, with, for from within, out of the heart of men, 
proceed evil thoughts. That's the darkness, see? Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. It's a long list. God didn't miss anything. What is all that list about? Darkness, 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 darkness. And then he says in in verse 23 of Mark 7, all these evil things come from within. What's he saying there? Darkness coming from inside. And defile the man. So in other words, as it comes out, it makes him dirty. See? In those three verses, we have a point stated about sin. And in verse 21, then there's this list of sins in verse 22. The same point is restated in verse 23. In fact, the same two words are used in verses 21 and 23. What's that? What's the point? From within, from within, from within, from within. The sin is coming from within. You are and I are no innocent little Mary that had little lambs that just happened to have a lot of sin dumped on us in life. And that's how we ended up sinful. No, 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 no. We don't come to God and make a confession like this. Lord, please forgive me because the woman you gave me, she dumped all the sin on me and I ate the fruit. Lord, please forgive me because the snake you put in the garden dumped sin on me and I had to take the fruit. Lord, please forgive me because this one provoked me and I had to strike back and now I hate him and I'm justified. Lord, none of those prayers of confession are, are, are in reality or according to reality. Why? Because the sin is coming from within us. Verse 23, all, that means every one of them. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. You know, yesterday was a, it was a, a refrigerator cleaning day. Sometimes it goes for a long time before it gets cleaned out. Sometimes that happens. And anyway, sometimes it happens that every time you open the refrigerator door, a terrible smell comes out. That's what was going on. So we had a suspicion that there was something bad in the refrigerator. So we went through, we looked at the yogurt. We said to the yogurt, yogurt, is it you? Yogurt. We said, you must be rotten, yogurt. Take your lid off. Yogurt says, oh no, not me. (laughs) Have a look, I'm so white. Okay, sure enough, yogurt was white. Finally get down to the bottom of the meat drawer, the place of darkness, and there's that package of hamburger, the one that's marked best used by October 12th, and today is February 1st. <laughs> and that hamburger was looking so caught, so ashamed, so embarrassed, leaked its blood all over the bottom of the meat drawer. Okay, so you do a little combination confirmation there. You sniff, oh yeah, okay. These verses are saying we are not the white yogurt. We are the rotten hamburger hiding in the bottom of the meat drawer and defiling the rest of the refrigerator. That's the darkness in our hearts. We're the rotten pot. That's the picture of Genesis 1-2. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, a terrible scene. But the solution, the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. He hovered like a concerned bird, hovering over her baby birds. What a beautiful picture. With great concern. If God, if God didn't care, if, 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 if he really didn't care, he wouldn't hover. He wouldn't hover. Why would you hover over something so terrible as darkness? 
Because he cares, wants to fix it. Why would he hover? Why does he hover over my life and over your life when darkness is within? Because he cares, because he wants to fix it. You and I would be hopeless if you didn't hover. Thank God he's a hovering God, even hovering over terrible things like darkness as we see him doing that in Genesis 1 here. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So from that darkness, God called us out. That's what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's resolve, each one of us, to respond to the hovering God and leave the darkness and live in the light that he's called us to. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you join us again tomorrow for another exciting message from my father, Tom Cantor. Today's message, as well as previous messages, are available for download at friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us at 1-800-247-3051 for a copy of today's message. Once again, that number is 1-800-247-3051. You can learn more about Tom Cantor by going to israelrestoration.org. If you'd like to contact Tom Cantor, please send an email to friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook and receive a daily devotional thought from the Word of God. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us again tomorrow at this same time.